0: Welcome back to the Hope Again podcast. Last week, I mentioned how we will be focusing on survivors of suicide loss for the next few episodes, but today I wanted to shift gears just slightly. Today, I want to talk about grieving during the holidays, and rather than waiting until we are on top of the holiday season, I wanted to explore it now while we have time to let it sink in. Over the years, I have experienced immense loss, and as it always does, the holidays come whether or not we want them to. Every year, I host a grieving during the holidays workshop, but that only reaches people local to me. So I wanted to do something that reaches people on a much larger scale. In preparation for this episode, I knew I wanted someone to join the conversation who has both professional and personal experience with this topic. You are in for a special treat, as we have Phil Cox joining us today, and he certainly has both experiences. Phil was born and raised in rural Northeast Arkansas and attended Arkansas State University on an ROTC scholarship. Upon receiving a degree in history, he was immediately commissioned into the Army, and after seven years and multiple assignments from Germany to Indiana, he left the military. During this time, he also gained a master's degree in management. After the military, Phil worked in contract security for five years before entering full-time ministry, which would last a total of over 20 years. During that time, he also earned a PhD in clinical Christian counseling. Church ministry was fulfilling, but when he discovered chaplaincy, he realized that was the best fit for him and likely his most effective place to be. Phil spent 18 years as a hospital chaplain and retired at the end of September of this year. While searching for a way to help others in their grief, he discovered the grief recovery method and has been doing groups and one-on-one sessions with people for over 12 years. He also teaches the helping children with loss class for adults wishing to learn ways to help children deal with grief. I am so excited to have you on today. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: For those of you guys who don't know, as a grief recovery method specialist, we have access to other grief recovery method specialists, and some of them are more active than others on social media, and Phil's name pops up periodically, and I do not know him personally, but just knowing the posts that um, he makes, I felt very compelled to reach out to him on this specific topic because I think that he is a wealth of knowledge, and you guys are going to be so um, you're in for a great treat. As a reminder on this podcast, we often share difficult stories, but you will always leave with tips and tools to help yourself and others and will prayerfully be filled with a sense of hope for brighter days. So Phil, I know we just read your bio, but I'm wondering if you could introduce yourself in regards to your story of grief and recovery.
1: Well, there's not just one, um, my over the years, well, the biggest loss I've ever had was my mom. Uh, and, um, as opposed to a lot of our grief recovery specialists, uh, a lot of them came to grief recovery training in order to initially, um, help with their own loss. I went, uh, I found the grief recovery method, um, looking for ways to help others with grief because, uh, in my work as a chaplain, I was, I was neck deep in grief on a regular basis, and I researched a lot and ran across the Grief Recovery Institute and the method and went to training. What I didn't count on was how personal it would be, Uh, and, and the loss that I worked on during the training was the loss of my mother. And so that, it dawned on me then, the number of losses that I was carrying around, And then I realized also that I had the tools to work on those losses. And so looking back from that, I realized that that the reason I left the Army was a health issue that came up. And basically that, and and to put it in a very blunt way, they didn't want me anymore. Mm -hmm. So me leaving the military was their idea and not mine. Now, the VA takes good care of me for that. But however, I, I was a captain and thought I would retire after 20 years as a lieutenant colonel. Well, I lost those hopes and expectations and and all of that of what my career and identity would be. And so I was no longer going to be that. So I had to change gears and decide what to do. And then um, just all of those things that happened, losing classmates, um, moving, um, graduating from college, leaving the country, going to Germany from our small Less than five hundred population town in Arkansas to a foreign country, and it not hitting me till I got there. Oh my goodness, what have I done? I'm too far from home. <laughs> uh, and all of those things that just change in your life, and some of them normal, um, and then losing grandparents and others along the way. So just all the changes, a divorce, uh, and all those major things, and and you realize that they that they start to weigh down on you. So in all of those things, I recognized that there had to be a way to help others as well as myself. So that's how I came to the grief recovery method. And now I began to do Christian counseling in my church ministry uh, in order to help others, because whether you're trained or not, if you're a minister, people come to you. Right. And so I began taking courses just to survive that. Uh, and then just kept taking courses till I got a degree doing that. So it just I just sort of did it out of necessity, really. When I got to the chaplaincy, um I sort of found my place, I think. And then recognizing the need for the grief recovery, um found a way to not only um, apply those things, but then to invite people to come in groups and individually. And seeing how effective that was in helping others, and I thought this this is what I need to do uh, and still do, and I'm still a griever. and so that's that's the trip so far,
0: yeah, so really, you sought out grief recovery for other people. People were being I drawn did. to you, coming to you, having needs that most of us aren't trained in how to really best support somebody and so you sought out something that's evidence-based that's what i love about the grief recovery method is that it is evidence-based um and so you kind of just found your place probably god had a little bit something to do with that i would think i would
1: think so yes
0: And you continue to do that. And so, what I love about your story is, I think you're right. And I had never put that together. Most people who seek out grief recovery are doing it because they are a griever, because they are hurting and they have tried everything else and nothing was working. And so, um, the fact that it uncovered things for you that you weren't aware of is pretty powerful because that tells us that. If you aren't having symptoms of grief, so to speak, that does not mean that you aren't a griever. That just must, that means that you might be unaware that your anger, depression or anxiety is actually due to some uncovered losses.
1: And I think I think what I did is what most people do is we just sort of drag along these losses and we think, well, I'm making it, I'm surviving it. And we don't realize how much better it could be if we had a way of dealing with that. Mm-hmm. A, a good step-by-step method of working through that. And then I, when, I, when I went to the training, I discovered there is a better way. And so I wasn't having symptoms that I recognized as that. I was just carrying all of it. And so, you know, I was using a lot of the myths that we learned. Uh, you know, just be strong and and all of those things and time will heal and all that. And I realized that that it wasn't really working. I was just surviving and I was making it. You know, I was functioning, uh, but I wasn't really processing that. I wasn't really dealing with it. And then I realized there is a way to do that. And so that was the difference for me. So I wasn't I wasn't um, I wasn't non-functional. I wasn't i don't know if you could say actively grieving i wasn't um i wasn't in pain all the time but i was i was slowed down uh, more than i realized and then once i learned the tools and i went through that one particular loss in the training i couldn't believe that i said wow i'm this is amazing and so i realized the freedom that you can gain when you do that process and so then i thought oh i have to do this and I, I didn't wait to start doing it. Uh, I just started almost immediately doing that. And um, as as we are taught in the training, sometimes this job will break your heart because all these people around you and they're expressing it, especially on the social media, and you want to say, I can help, I can help, I can help. And they just sort of, OK, yeah, thanks, Phil. <laughs> and then they go on and they keep talking about, you know, their daily grind of trying to survive and you're trying to figure out how to let them know that you're available and able to walk them through this um and gently you know help them if if they will allow it. But until they're ready, you just have to be there and be available. So it can break your heart in that way.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Um, You've touched on something and I think this happens more often than not, but you said people think that they should be feeling a certain way or they should be miserable. Um, and I have found that oftentimes people feel like if they're, if there is a better way, if they do get better, then they're betraying their loved one that has died.
1: True, true. And they, they worry about that. Am I Am I leaving them behind? Will I forget them? If this is so good, If I um, if I complete my relationship or that part of my relationship, if we use the word completion um, and does that mean I'll forget them? Well, that's impossible. Uh, And they do. They they don't. They're afraid to move from where they are. And some of them that becomes their identity. Mm -hmm. And they are afraid to let go of anything. They're afraid if they let go of the pain, then they'll let go of too much and they'll let go of all the memories. They don't realize they can keep the fond memories and keep the good things and just let go of the pain and all the other things that they're carrying. And they are afraid, I believe, of of losing too much of their loved one.
0: Yeah. And it
1: keeps them keeps them in a bad place sometimes. Yeah. I think you're right.
0: I like that you use the word identity. It's funny because last the last episode when we were talking about um, survivors of suicide loss, that was the word I used. That was my d- identity when I experienced my second loss to suicide, I was, hello, I'm Jessica, I'm a survivor of suicide loss. That was it, that was my identity. That was my, and that was my grief speaking. Um, And it took me a couple of years before I could drop that label because that's all I knew about grief was, I'm not gonna be ashamed of it, so I'm going to say it, which is okay, but I was so much more than that but I present it as a griever. And so when you say that your brain and body treats you as a griever and you stay kind of stuck in that place, not allowing yourself to heal or move forward or even find the correct tools to use to get through that because you are self-identifying.
1: Right. And I think I have seen and heard people who sort of become the authority for others on, and maybe a specific uh, type of grief, for example, suicide, um, or um, the parent of a drunk driver uh, death of, a, of their child. Um, and they are the one to go to if this happens. And they will, you know, maybe go to schools every year, or they will talk to kids about drunk driving and they will, They are the authority. And I I think if they change anything, then they will lose that. It's almost a status and that they will lose that. And that still doesn't have to be the case. Uh, I admire people that I have worked with who waste no time in diving right into this and saying, I need help. I need to do something as soon as possible. And I so much admire them, and they tackle this head on. They walk through this process. They do everything, you know, going through this book, through all the things that they're supposed to do, and they get so much relief in so much less time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just tell them, you you are amazing to me because you're doing this work, and you don't really need anything from me just to sit here and watch. Um, and and that's it's amazing because they get what they need right away instead of waiting for years sometimes.
0: Hmm. So
1: it's It's amazing to see that.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And I don't often think about it in that way, because oftentimes when people seek us out, it's because they've been struggling and they've exhausted all resources. And many of them, it's been years. Um, But there are the few that come in the immediacy uh, weeks after a funeral. I even had a person call me before the funeral and they're just they don't want to to get stuck they know they don't know what to do or how to help themselves and so they're seeking that support Um, I had a woman once come to me and say how awful the thing was that she was experiencing but she very pointedly said to me this cannot turn into cancer for me I cannot let this consume me. I cannot get sick because of this. I need help. And that was very, that was really weeks within the major loss in her life. And I thought she gets it. She understands if we don't deal with things, it really does turn into ailments in our body. Physical symptoms are a direct and direct correlation with what we don't deal with, what we keep in our body. Absolutely. So sometimes people who are believers struggle with their grief on an intellectual level. For example, um, people will say, it's okay, they're in a better place, which to me implies they're in a better place. So that means I shouldn't be sad. And I shouldn't be sad because my loved one, my, my dad, my daughter, my dog, whoever is in heaven. And why would I be sad about that, right? So these are all intellectual comments. And if they are a believer and they believe that very strongly and they come to me almost like they feel like they're doing something wrong if they're sad about their loss. And so... I always like to share the Bible verse from Psalm thirty-one nine that says, "Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from my grief, and my body, or my soul, and my body also." And I love that verse because I think it gives a visual of grief, and it says. Biblically speaking, we are supposed to get that energy out of our body. When I read, My eye is wasted from my grief, that tells me that that person has been crying so much that they have no more tears. And to me, that's just a beautiful picture of it's okay. We're supposed to release that energy. Feelings are meant to be experienced, not meant to be held in because our loved one is in heaven. And so for me, that provides an understanding and comfort. I hope it does for the people I share it with. But um, I'm wondering if there's some things that you that are go-tos for you, some verses or some components that are like go-to, healing, grief, whatever works in those moments.
1: Well, first, the emotions are built into us, mm-hmm. um, you know, laughter as well as, as crying. Um, and we don't ask people to turn off laughter. Um, you know, if a child comes home and they're crying because they got uh bullied on the school ground we might try to, to to tell tell them not to cry but if they come home excited you know excited about a good grade we don't say don't feel good right uh you know you'll do worse next time <laughs> um and so you know we 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 sometimes don't realize what we're saying but you know jesus wept over jerusalem yeah uh because the prophets they didn't respond to the prophets and they were still weren't responding to him uh, and that's the very familiar verse. And when, when you're a little kid, you always wanted to use the memory verse of Jesus wept. And that was when his friend Lazarus died. And Jesus knew he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead. But he wept. I think he wept seeing the grief of his sisters and all those others around him. And that was legitimate. Mm-hmm. And Jesus didn't say, Don't cry. You know, I'm going to handle this. You know, it was legitimate, and he let that happen. Um, and so, and even in Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon said, "There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. There's a there's a and a, a legitimate time for all of those things." So, God wanted His people to weep over His rejection of them when they disobeyed. He wanted them to feel. Yeah. The, the sadness for that. And still wants us to if we tend if we're gonna do that, you know, he wants us to feel badly about things. And there's an emotion that comes with that. And so, you know, throughout scripture, there is legitimate grief for legitimate reasons, just as there's legitimate joy for legitimate reasons, also. And again, it's all built into us, and there are times for all of that, and so. I don't find any place you know there may be times when we have the wrong emotion for the wrong time, and maybe we're encouraged, hey, you know, there is a reason to look forward and to have hope when we don't see the hope, but you're right we we spend too much time in our heads and not times in our hearts, and you're right th- those statements that that sometimes are used are accurate, but it's intellectual
0: mm-hmm.
1: and instead of. You know, it's not time for that. One of my best examples, if I can tell the story, sure. is um, a friend of mine who was one of my volunteer chaplains was giving us an example in a, in a training class we had. His sister and he were uh, in a hospital in another city. And I think their mother had maybe just died. And so they were in a waiting room. And a chaplain came in and said, one of the scriptures, you know, all things work together for good for those who love God, or Some something of that nature. And my friend George looked at him and said, I'm aware of that. Maybe a couple of months from now, that will help. But right now, that doesn't help. Good and me. here's one preacher talking to another preacher, <laughs> one chaplain talking to another chaplain. And what he said after this stuck with me. He said, he didn't come there to know us. He came there to quote scripture to us. Mm. And I thought, wow, talk about a training moment. Yeah. And after that, I conveyed that to all of my guys. I said, don't ever forget that statement. He didn't come there to know us or to listen or to hear us. He came there with his own agenda to quote scripture. And again what he said was accurate, but not helpful at the time.
0: Right.
1: It just wasn't the time for that. And, you know, my friend knew that he was aware of that. And later on, he would latch onto that and find hope in that. But at the moment, the emotions were there. And that's what needed to happen. Mm. So I I just think that's a good lesson for us. You know, scripture is not anti-emotion. It it affects all of us, our whole person, our emotions, our intellect, all of us. And so it's not either or, but there's just the right time for for each of those things. And we need to be aware of when those times are, I think.
0: Yeah, that's such a good story. Um, and like you said, our intellect is right. It is true. It is, does not have to be mitigated. Like we're not saying, no, your head is wrong, but we're saying our head and our heart are disconnected. And when we try to talk our heart into our head, that doesn't work. We have to feel what our heart is telling us to feel. And then the intellect comes later that, and there can be peace. There can be hope. There can be healing in that as well, but not first. First, we have to feel what our body is telling us to feel. Yes. Mm. And sometimes
1: the battle in grief is our head says no you're fine let everybody else know that you're fine they don't want you to cry they're uncomfortable with you and so too many times that wins out over your heart and sometimes if we can just get out of the way and let our heart speak then maybe we'll get the help we need and and get better yeah the head didn't go away it just needs to be silent for a while
0: (laughs) Right. And, and the people around us need to be silent for a while. Like you said, we need to be with people that want to know us. And if they do know us already, they, that want to know our experience and not try to fix it. Absolutely. Or make it better. You can't make it better.
1: And we can coach them. Mm -hmm. They can say, I just need you to hear me. I have a sign. It was on my desk in my office and I found it on our gift shop and it, I realized it was pretty much my job description. And it just said, what people need is a good listening to. And I thought, that's it. Yep, that's what people need is a good listening to. And it, people just need to be heard. And if we can can be our heart with ears and and quit trying to fix it and just hear them. Um then we've done a whole lot for them. And it doesn't take a genius or a scholar to do that. Just sit and be with somebody.
0: That's so true. uh, Yes. We can help others help us. Oh my gosh. Yes. I have um, a client or had a client who um, was doing well, clinically was doing well. And so in session, you know, I thought, okay, we're about to start the termination process. And I said, you know, you're, you're in a good place. You, you know, you've met all of your goals. And she stopped me right then and there. She said, no, 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 not ready to be done. I was like, well, that's okay. This, you know, that's your choice, but I just want you to know clinically you're in a good place. And she said to me, you are the only person that will give me an hour of undivided attention ever. <clears throat> How I mean, that's the world we live in. And for her to say, I want to keep coming to you just so I know there is somebody who is invested, somebody that's going to listen, who's not going to pick up their phone, who's not going to want to know what I'm cooking for dinner, like who's really invested in listening to me and is completely present. And you don't have to be a therapist to do that, but we don't have very many people in our lives that will do that. That was pretty powerful to me.
1: Very much. Yeah. It's very powerful. Just a trusted person Mm -hmm. who will hear you. Yeah. yeah,
0: Without judgment, analysis, criticism.
1: Yeah. And I've had a lot of people say to me, I don't know if I have a person like that.
0: Yeah. And that's sad. It's so sad. But I think it's more common than not. Yeah. But like you said, we can train them. We can train people to be that for us. Um, That's true. Lots of people don't know how. And I think my experience has been the people that love us the most are so uncomfortable when we're in pain and they just want to fix it and make it better. And if we exactly. give them permission not to fix it, I do not expect you to fix this. I do not expect you to make it better. As soon as we give them that permission, then they that allows them to be present and fully there. We just have to tell yes. them it's okay.
1: Yes. Just hear me. Right. Mm-hmm. And actually the pressure is off them. That's what you're right. They can just settle in and just hear you.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, grievers don't know how to say that without coming off rude. I've found they don't want to be rude. They don't want to hurt their loved one's feelings because their loved one's just being helpful. And I say all the time, you are not going to hurt anybody's feelings if you give them permission not to fix it. That's all you got to say. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Just say, shut up and listen,
0: right? (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) I love you and shut up and
0: listen. (laughs) Right. So we know the experience of grief comes in waves, right? That analogy of the waves. And I recently moved to um, the Houston area. Oh, I guess it's been about five years ago now, but I had never experienced hurricanes before, but I know now what storm surges are. And so I think that the holiday season, so grief comes in waves. We know that phrase, but then sometimes the holiday season feels like storm surges, where it's just the holiday season intensifies our grief experiences. Um, What do you think it is? Why do you think that happens? Well, probably...
1: Um, I think holiday seasons are, are one of the most important to us because it 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 just means to us usually family gatherings and any part of that family, especially an important part of that family, is not there. Um, it just seems to well, it, it's it's like the big deal is coming and it either hits us in a good way or a bad way. We look at something we look forward to or something we dread. And um, I know with my mom, I didn't realize it until, um, till it, it was getting too close to the holidays. When we normally would, my my, my brothers and sisters and I, uh, there's five of us, and I realized I don't think we're going to be getting together because she was the glue that held everything together. Mm. She was the, the, the kind of the reason we all did. It's not like there was a problem for us to do it. It's just, and my dad was in no shape to gather us. And he simply didn't know how anyway. He couldn't, he couldn't bring himself to see us all together without her. He could hardly have a phone conversation with us. Um, and I didn't realize it until that first holiday kind of rolled around that, oh, wow she's not there and what are we going to do it was 5 years before we got together wow and it was it, even then it was my aunt who said we're going to be at the hometown reunion and my three kids will be there and i expect to see all of you and no one was willing to tell aunt wanda no <laughs> so we all showed up and that was the first time 5 years later mm-hmm. that we all got there and and so uh, i think when that's when it starts to hit, is now what? Now, who am I at a gathering? And maybe we did most of our holiday gatherings at his house or her house. And am I still included? You know, that was the other side's family. And where do I fit in now? That's some of it. I remember a widow saying, now I don't know if if they were our friends or his friends and that never occurred to me until she brought that up, I never thought of it. Uh, and that's probably very common. Um, and so I think maybe that's just, just all of those thoughts keep coming at you, um, as it gets closer and you start trying to figure out what do I do? And, and you don't know, you don't have those answers. yeah, And then people don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to say. Should we invite them? Should we not? How are we going to do this? And maybe it was at your house that they always gathered. Should we change that? Should we leave it the same? You know, is there going to be pressure there? And all these questions that are asked. And sometimes people are afraid to address it, depending on the situation. Right. So it's it's all this confusion, all this, all this, um, this energy that's going on and nobody knows how to address it.
0: I was thinking about when you were saying how um, it's like the day, right? It's leading up to the day. And I have found that planning for the day often is worse than the day itself because you're trying to navigate, like you said, how do we acknowledge the empty chair in the room or how do we, deal with a change of venue or who do I spend my time with? And so you have all of this preparation for a day and then the day comes and it's a day and you get through it. But the preparation, and I think also for like the year anniversary of somebody's death that often happens then as well, where people will plan for a month and you build up all of this anxiety, which is fear of fear of something that's not real right? That's what anxiety is. And so you create this in your head when you don't know until you experience it. And oftentimes the experience is not as bad as we think it's going to be.
1: Right. Most of what I worry about never happens.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But you're right. The anticipation is there and we tend to build it up. So it's huge in our minds and you're right. It's just a day and then it's over. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, it's it's that way in a good way. I mean, you know, we always even when we were kids, we this huge thing, and you know, then we opened our present, and then that's it. It's it's done, it's over with. And I remember kind of a letdown after that. But yes, the anticipation is there, but there's there's this gap, there's this hole, and we're not sure where to place everything. I think one thing that that I have have read and 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 I've this has been borne out with people in experiencing it is to say, let's, let's say his or her name. It's okay to say that people are afraid. Should I mention it? Should I say the name? Should I not? Yes. Let's talk about this person. You know, it's okay. Let's don't act like they never existed. Let's don't be so afraid to include that person in our conversations. You know, I miss them. You know, don't we? Yeah. It's not typical around all this. And I wish we could do this with them like we did. You know, is it okay if we change something? You know, let's just try to be open about this. You know, I'd like to keep this the same for a while. It's okay to change this. And we just need to face this because we, you know, some people will do that for years. Well, I don't know if it's okay to do this or not. And I think we just need to to, to give permission to talk about it and decide what we want to continue with or change and it be okay. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not easy. There's no easy way to do it. We just need to, to recognize that it's hard.
0: That's such good and advice this- because I have found that, you know, stirbs the things that we do to avoid our emotions come out in full force around the holidays Um, for me, I remember when my boyfriend died, my mom remembered what it was like for her to lose her husband. And she remembered how hard Christmas was. And so instead of doing Christmas that year, we went to Hawaii, which was nice, but we were doing it for, to avoid things. And the problem with that is Christmas comes again the next year and we Uh can't afford to go to Hawaii every year. And so I'm just delaying the inevitable, right? and putting that off and saying, "Okay, I'll deal with it later, which is what stirbs are, right? We're avoiding our emotions. And then right. when my brother died, we did the same thing. We went to Mexico and for Christmas instead of having Christmas because it was too hard, but that doesn't make the second year easier. It just and yeah. maybe even amplifies the second year. That's not a a research statement. That's just a thought that I think. But um, it may make it worse the second year because now you have to think back to everything that your body was ready to deal with in the moment because our bodies know what we need. And when we don't listen to our bodies, it really just comes back to bite us in the butt later.
1: It does, it does. And and I think we forget how it affects our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember, and, and I know in our book, it talks about uh, grief and and correlations and that, and accidents and illnesses. And it didn't occur to me that for years, I had visited people in the hospital um, with um, having had accidents, broken hips, um, broken other limbs. And then while I visited them, in part of that conversation, they would say, "I lost my my spouse, you know, six months ago or three months ago." And how many times I heard that, And didn't know that because I came because of an injury or an accident. And how many times I kept hearing that. And then when I went through this training and read the book, I thought, oh, wow, there's something to this. You know, we don't pay attention. We run into things. We fall. We're not in the moment enough to realize what we're doing. And things happen. And so you're right. It affects our bodies and illnesses. And I think our body's resistance is down. And so we are susceptible uh, to being sick or getting hurt uh, because grief affects our whole being, Um, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical, and the whole thing. And I don't think we realize that. We think we can grab it with our minds and wrestle it around and control it and put it somewhere and that's it. And we got this and every now and then wrestle it again and fix it somehow. And because we're told that.
0: Yeah.
1: it just doesn't work.
0: Right. Um, so one of the things to manage the holiday season that I heard you saying is um, be willing to say their name, be willing to have a conversation, be willing to acknowledge the elephant in the room, right? That there is something very different this year. Let's talk about it. I've heard before people say, um, you are not going to make me sad. I am already sad. You saying their name is not going to make me cry. If I cry, it's because you remembered them and loved them too. And I am so grateful to be in community with somebody who can grieve with me. Yes, yes.
1: And and we can share that grief for a while. And we don't have to spend two hours doing that here, but but let's acknowledge, my goodness, it's it's good to be here. I wish they were here with us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And backing up a little to show up in the first place, not to isolate at home. Yes. Because I think one of our big tendencies is, is just to hold up, especially if it's in the winter holidays and it's cold. I just want to curl up in my pajamas. I don't want to see anybody or talk to anybody. They're all out there having fun with their families. I, I'm I'm the odd person out. I don't want to be a part of that because they don't want me there anyway. To show up in the first place is a good thing, and then to be able to say, "Can we just acknowledge, you know, that we wish they were here, and that we missed them, and I do, and I think you do too, and let's just do that, and then." Then what? Then just decide how we want to go from here. If we want to put an empty chair here, we can do that. Let's honor them Mm -hmm. and honor their memory and and honor even our grief even for a while. And and then let's just do something else, you know? And so,
0: yeah, that's a good thing.
1: If we can have the courage to do that.
0: Right. And so this is good for any time, any time of the year, if you are going out um, to celebrate somebody's wedding, like any time of the year. But I think these are specifically good tips for the holidays, for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for like Phil said, even New Year's, because these are traditionally times where we are, quote unquote, supposed to be with other people. Like we have gatherings and this is like the time to be in community. And so we know that healing takes place in community. We are designed biologically to be in connection with other people. That's why babies cry sometimes because they need to eat. But most of the time it's because they need comfort from another human being. That doesn't go away when we are grown. We still need that. And so going to those things, even when it's hard, you're likely going to have healing occur in those moments, especially like you said, Phil, if you're willing to be honest and say, let's just do this, let's go there, acknowledge it. And we don't have to wallow in it all night long, but just, yep, I'm sad right now. Or if you are the loved one helping Let's. I I miss him too, or I miss her too, or I can't imagine what this first Christmas without your child is like, whatever it is, being honest about it, because we all have the feelings, even if it's not our loss, we're feeling that there is a missing piece. And so let's just be honest about it. That's so good. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then what else, what are some other tips for managing the holiday season that you can think of?
1: I think maybe being aware of of our consumption of, of maybe alcohol, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Um, and, and if we're going to be out, especially in in people, if with and and maybe it, we're we're trying to socialize and again, maybe trying to act like we're OK. Maybe part of doing that is over partaking uh, of things and it could be overeating or it could be anything else. And to help us, to help us convey the attitude that we're fine, that we're okay. Yeah. And so we could overindulge in those things and carry that too far. And it become a, a short-term energy relieving behavior, not only to distract us for a while, but also to to do what we call an Academy Award recovery and to, and, and people will love it. They'll say, oh, wow, he's doing so well. She's doing yeah. so well. Um, but all we're doing is playing a game and we may be fooling somebody for a while. And then when we leave there, we're not only stuffed or, or no shape to drive or, and then we go home and we're miserable and alone and sad again. So I think just being aware of doing those kind of things, uh, we may need to do that as well, just. In trying to socialize some, and, and as we said, we, you know, you don't necessarily have to make every party just to socialize. There may be times when you say, "I'm really exhausted." You know, I did go to so and so's party, or I went to somebody's house, and even even if you're not grieving, sometimes you just have to pick and choose. You know, you can't do everything and go everywhere because you might get invited to ten different things. But especially if you're grieving, then you may need to decide which things that you can go to but if we're out there we need to be aware of how much we engage in in activities that that may be taking us too far the wrong way
0: yeah that's a really good point like you said sometimes we do things to pretend like we're okay because we feel like we're supposed to show up and if you are too exhausted. Grief fatigue is real. That's a real thing. Um, And you very likely are exhausted. And so I want to go back to, we have to honor our body. And so when our body tells us to cry, we should cry. When our body says, I'm too tired, we should honor that and rest. Our body knows what we need more than what our made up expectations in our head are. And then also I love that you said just be mindful. If if you're showing up because you feel like you're supposed to and you're not really in a place to do so, you likely will overindulge or you will do some things to try to continue up that academy award winning behavior where you're pretending like you're okay when you're not. And so being aware of those things that Phil mentioned is a really good idea because you know what it is that you do to avoid your emotions. And so when you start to do that, just stop and say either, you know, I, I'm not in a good place right now. I probably should go home or find somebody, find a safe person who you can be real with and say, I noticed that um, I'm not really listening to the conversation in the room and I'm mindlessly eating because I can't focus. And I wonder if we can just have a little conversation real quick, doing those yeah. little things to acknowledge those moments don't make you weak. It just makes you human and gives somebody that you love permission to help you in that moment. And what a beautiful experience that is.
1: Yes, very much so. And or we we could even go to those activities or parties to find someone because we are lonely mm. uh, and a party would be the place to do that. And so if we're not very careful, we could get ourselves into real trouble uh, that way. And again, not only another distraction, but then there's another person that's involved. Um, And I see about 50 problems with that, Hmm. potential problems with that kind of thing. And so just being aware of that as we're socializing and trying to be better, trying to feel better, then all of a sudden here's an emotional attachment uh, possibly happening. And then, oh, my goodness, now what have I done? That's, but that's another thing just to be aware of.
0: Yeah. That's such a good yeah. example.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, We want to be aware of our behaviors, but then also some things to honor our loved ones. Um, We mentioned some already, but I just want to reiterate them. If you want to, you can have the empty chair and keep it empty and be very public with that. We are acknowledging that this person that we loved is no longer physically present with us. You can do that and that is okay. This is your grief. This is your show. And you get to say, I need to do this for me because I am missing them. Um, you can light a candle and keep the candle burning. Sometimes people will do it um, through the Advent or just on Christmas Day or for um, Thanksgiving Day or however that works for you, whatever makes sense to you, you can light a candle and honor that. Some people say a prayer specifically for their loved one who's who's died. When I had my boyfriend died, I specifically asked for memories. I wanted people to send me memories, things, stories I didn't know, stories that I had never heard, things that made them laugh, funny things, whatever it was. And um, they mailed them to me. And we each for Christmas Eve, we drew them out of a stocking and each went around the room and read memories, some that we knew, some that we didn't know. And that was like, we were going with it. We were honoring his life and talking about him and laughing and crying, and we weren't shying away from it. And so there's so many different ideas you can do. You can go to the uh, headstone. If there's a headstone, you can um, release a balloon. Remember that the preparation is often worse than the actual day, and sometimes preparing for things like that can be harder than necessary. But if you feel like there's something that you really want to do to honor your loved one, um, there's lots of different things you can do. Do you have any other ideas?
1: Um, no, I really like the, the the one about the stories and passing those around. That that's an excellent idea. I don't think I'd heard that before. But you know, I anytime, especially on social media. When someone says, you know, they're asking for prayers or someone just says, you know, my mother died or my brother or whoever. And so many people say the exact same thing. I make it a point to say, I'm so sorry to hear about this. If I can say any kind of story, comment, I'm going to miss seeing them at the reunion or I remember something, anything different that I can relate to them. Uh, I always enjoyed whatever it is about them. I always want to make sure I make that comment, something that relates to them personally. But I always want to say, okay, what can I relate to them about this person that I remember? Uh, But that's always helpful. And like you say, the stories that people wrote that you maybe hadn't heard or didn't know about. Uh, is very helpful, and you were talking about visiting graves and so forth. I've had people ask me, "Is it wrong for me to do whatever? Visit the grave, uh, light the candle, have the you know?" They want to know, "Am I crazy? Is should I not be doing this?" And I said, "Well, there's no right or wrong about that. That's up to you. You know, nobody can tell you what to do or what not to do. And so, yes, any of those things is helpful to someone." Just do it. You know, again, as long as it's safe and not unhealthy, just just do those things. It's very individual. We talk about all the relationship is, every relationship is unique. It's very individual. What works for the individual and for the loved ones and family and friends are always good uh, to honor that person and remember them. You know, we want those memories to go on. Um, It's very important to us. We don't want to lose those things.
0: Right. That's really good advice. I will, And I really love how you said, how you can respond to somebody a little bit, slightly differently. And by saying, I'm so sorry you're experiencing this right now. I remember when, right? Because yeah. again, we're not going to make anybody sad. They're already sad. We, we don't make people right. feel anything. Our feelings are our right. own. But when we share those intimate little stories, that gives that person permission to feel their feelings with you and you are now a safe person. And oh my goodness, thank you so much for sharing that with me. I'd never heard that before. Or, oh my gosh, that story makes me belly laugh every time or whatever it is. Um, and you're not trying to fix anything in that moment.
1: Right. Right. I love that. I recently uh, okay. recently went to the visitation of a gentleman who was 94 and had been one of my volunteer chaplains and his 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 children were there and I had started receiving um accidental phone calls from him sometimes at two a m. Hmm. And I mentioned that at the visitation. I said, "You know, I've lately been getting some of these weird calls, And every one of them said, "We all did <laughs> <laughs> and 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 we laughed about that, and we talked about how much we appreciated each other, but they they enjoyed hearing those things. Um, and some people would be sad, and maybe even even angry about that, but I knew they wouldn't be. And they weren't. They said, oh yeah, I don't know how many people got those calls. We all got them too. Um, so just knowing who you're talking to, and it's okay to, to to bring those things up. And it was a very enjoyable time honoring him and his memory and his long life.
0: That's a really good example. So we know that grief is the normal natural reaction to loss. We know that it is a universal experience. We know that grief in itself is not a clinical diagnosis. So we know these things. Um, but how do you know when it's become more or when it's time to seek help? You mentioned earlier that like you, you admire the people that immediately come. And I don't know that they necessarily are showing clinical symptoms that they need to get help, but they just know to prevent this from becoming ugly or be, being more than I can bear or whatever, I'm going to get help. So that's one thing. But how do you know when it's time to seek clinical help?
1: I think one obvious um, time is if you are thinking of hurting yourself, mm-hmm. if you're thinking of, if you're feeling suicidal or homicidal, uh, and if that is, is something that's on your mind quite a bit, then it's time to, to seek help immediately. If you seem to be stuck to a point for a long period of time when you just cannot function um, and you need to contact someone who can at least give you some kind of advice uh, to help you get at least out of that particular spot you're in. Um, and I think I think it's time for that as well. Um, you know, for example, if you just can't seem to get out of bed at all mm-hmm. for a long period of time, uh, then maybe it's time to, to talk to someone Professionally, you know, obviously, if we're if we're working and we're expected to be someplace at a certain time, uh, and you know, we're faced with losing our job if we don't, and we do have to work, then then maybe there's a you know there's a time when we have to say, okay, I'm either going to lose my job or get help. Okay, then it's time to make that decision. Those are some of the things some of the things that I can think of.
0: I think those are really good, and so. Grief is normal and natural reaction, but that doesn't mean you can't seek help if you're experiencing normal loss. And I talk about that often on here is you can go to the grief recovery Institute and you can search locally and find somebody locally. But I want to be very clear that if you feel like you are having some mental health problems on top of your normal loss, you can search that too. So you can find therapists who are trained in grief. You can search that on the grief recovery website. You can find people like Phil who have um, Christian clinical counseling degrees. You can find people like me who are on there who have the um, designation of being a therapist. And so you don't have to forego grief recovery in lieu so that you can have mental health support. You can have both together. You don't necessarily not everybody necessarily needs that, but if you feel like you need that, but you also want somebody who is well-trained in grief, that's one way that you can find that professional help. Um, just just a little nugget about um, counselor education, that was not, grief was not a required course. And so we got like, I don't know, a three-hour cl- class one day on grief and loss and death and dying all combined. And so unless you are going to somebody um, in a professional capacity who says that they have training in grief, they probably don't have much training in grief. That doesn't mean they can't be effective, but just know that if that's what you're seeking help for, um, you can put in those keywords to find help for both pieces. Good point. And I think so if if like Phil said, if you're having suicidal thoughts, if you can't get out of bed, if you're not being able to get to work, if um, you're feeling so overwhelmed with the holidays that you are not being able to be present with your children, um, if you are not if you're sleeping too much or too little or you're not able to eat because your your stomach is so in knots that you're not able to get food down. Those are some really good signs that maybe it's time to call somebody um, because the holidays will come and go. But if you don't get the help that you need through these moments, those could be perpetuated past the holiday season. So it, it might not just be because it's the holiday time. And so just know that if you're noticing those things, or if you have the thought, I might need to get help probably need to get help (laughs) right as soon as that thought pops into your head it doesn't hurt to call somebody and you could go and most people are going to be honest with you and say you don't really have anything clinically going on with you nobody's going to uh, have you keep going if you don't need to um like i'm always honest like the story i shared earlier i'll tell you if you're clinically good and then you get to decide what you're going to do from there i know phil would do the same and so if you have the thought call find somebody to call um phil's contact information through the grief recovery website is in the podcast description you guys all know how to get a hold of me um but a quick google search really will help you find somebody locally if you need it okay so thank you phil for sharing your wisdom and expertise with us is there anything else that you would like to leave our listeners with that we might have left out
1: Oh, let's see. Well, you you know, your life is more than your pain
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, just know that um, grief is normal and natural as we've already said. And it's, it's the natural thing that happens when we have the end of a familiar pattern of behavior and there's help out there and don't continue to drift along just thinking that you just have to sit there with it. And I appreciate Jessica for doing what she does that I wasn't even aware of until recently. And so don't be afraid to talk to her for sure. She's very much available here. And so I appreciate being here. And I thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you so much, Phil. And if you want to connect with Phil, his contact information, again, is in the podcast description. So I know, like like we mentioned in the beginning, he is recently retired. And so he is ready and willing to take on new grievers. Um, that's his passion. He wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't. So please reach out to him. He's in Missouri, but um, you do not have to be in Missouri to connect with him. Okay, everyone, I look forward to hearing more about what you want to learn about. I pray you always get a little nugget of helpful tips and tools each episode for yourself or loved ones. Please let me know what you'd like to hear in the future. And if I'm not knowledgeable on the topic, I will do my best to find someone who is. I want to say a special thank you to my subscribers who are supporting me financially. I am humbled by your desire to listen to the Hope Again podcast. Please reach out if I can ever support you. Remember, if you have lost hope and ever feeling good, calm, safe, or happy again, this is your invitation to try one more time and hope again.
1: May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 14.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hope Again podcast where the light at the end of the tunnel gets brighter each day.